Good morning. Come on. It's a pleasure to see you all this morning. It's, uh, it's really great to be together, all, all of us, to worship our Lord. And the sanctuary is just so full. Thank you so much for coming. My name is Jason Averill. I am one of the pastors here at Grace. Now, for the past uh, several months in the spring since we started, we've been in a series on the book of Ephesians. And uh, the last time that we were in the, the sermon series, we heard Pastor Wilson talk to us about um, relationships. You know, what is it, what is it uh, now that we are Christians unified in Christ, how do our relationships play out? Today, we'll actually be finishing up this letter of the Ephesians. So, we'll be looking at this very last passage, which is on the armor of God. And then, next Sunday, we'll have Palm Sunday, and then Easter, and then we'll have RUF Sunday, and we'll, we'll start up a new sermon series. It's going to be a topical series that's going to carry us through all the way to the end of the summer, and it's going to be on the attributes of God. And it should be pretty exciting. I'm excited for it. So we hope that you can join us for that. So let's pray, and then we can jump in. Father, Lord, we praise you that you draw us to worship you. That though you are great and glorious and magnificent, and that your glory shines out and outshines everything in heaven and on earth, in spite of that, you care for us. You care for us like a father cares for us. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for sending our great and glorious Savior to us, our brother Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for being the manna that comes down to us, the true bread of life, that we might feast on you and have life. We praise you for being our rock out of which flows living water to revive us, to refresh us. We praise you for being our cornerstone, knowing that we can build a foundation upon you and know that our house will be stable and will not fall. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the Spirit to us to be our friend and our teacher and our comforter. Holy Spirit, we do ask that you be present and active in this worship service, that you be um, the teacher to us, that you illumine our minds and our hearts, direct our eyes toward our great Savior. Lord, we praise you for being the agent of change. And we pray that you change us today. Amen. So, as a kid, like many kids, uh, when I was like four or five, I liked to play warrior. 
And in particular, I really liked He-Man. He-Man was big when I was little. And part of, you know, everything that you got set up with whenever you were really into He-Man uh, was his armor and his sword. And they had this little plastic, you know, breastplate that you could put on. And they had a helmet and they had a shield. And, of course, they had the master sword. And you could go around and beat your friends. And it was awesome. And what was so great about it is that when you put that armor on, being four or five, you felt invulnerable. You felt like nothing could touch you because your friends could come up with their swords and hit you in the head and it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit, when I was in my teenage years, I still liked to put on armor. I got into this weird thing called melee where people would meet in the park and they'd put, you know, these big padded clothes on and have PVC pipes um, that are coated with, like, foam. Um, I did not coat mine with enough foam and got kicked out. But regardless, I really loved it because, again, as the warrior, you could go, you were wearing your armor, and you wouldn't get hurt. It was awesome. And fast forward to today... As an adult, and I look around at the world, and I see all the threats out there, and I see a darkness just over our world, and I long for that feeling of invulnerability again. I long for that feeling of protection, to know that whatever life throws at me, I can be safe. And that's not uncommon to me. That's actually one of the most common things that we hear as pastors. How do we engage in this spiritual warfare? How, how is it that we can stand up in the darkness and be a light and not be taken out? How is it that we can engage in the, with the enemy and not be beat down? Not be completely laid out. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So, Paul addresses this in his, the last part of his letter to the Ephesians. Please stand as we read it. You can follow along in your Bible or on the screen behind me. It's uh, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. 
to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. All men are like grass and all their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. It stands forever, so let's turn our attention to it. You may be seated. So, today we're going to be talking about the armor of God and spiritual warfare, and we're going to be um, really focusing on, on three points. We're going to be looking at the doubt that we have of the darkness and the devil. There's going to be a lot of alliteration in these points, just to, just to I was playing around with it, but... Uh, we're going to be looking at what it means to don the armor. And we're going to be looking at what it means to defend against the enemy. So, doubting the darkness, donning the armor, defending against the enemy. So what do I mean about doubting the darkness, doubting the devil? How is it that we do that? I mean, we're Christians, right? We, we don't doubt the devil, do we? Well, in our, in our modern day, particularly in the West, um, we have this, this view called naturalism. And it's risen up in the past couple of hundred years, and it's really started to dominate a lot of what we think. And naturalism tries to explain everything by a natural cause. And so whenever you run up against, you know, texts, in, say, in the Bible or in other uh, literature, you say, well, that has to be an allegory because, obviously, spiritual things don't exist. As Christians, we're kind of put in a strange spot because we do believe spiritual things exist. And yet, because we are so inundated in naturalism, just from the get-go, we have a hard time reconciling certain things, like the existence of Satan. And it spread into the church back in the 1800s. There, there was this move called demythologizing. And the demythologizers, they looked at the Bible and they said, well, you know, obviously, there's a whole bunch of mythic elements here, and so, you know, they're there really isn't a Satan, and there, there wasn't a resurrection, and there's no way that God actually became man. So we're going to interpret things differently. And you might think that we would be kind of immune to this as evangelicals, but we're really not. Even in evangelical circles, nowadays, people downplay 
Satan. They downplay sin. They downplay any sort of spiritual warfare. You talk about demons and people look at you strangely. And this isn't just a problem for the modern West, by the way, though it's particularly a problem for us. There were people in New Testament times that also doubted supernatural things. The Sadducees were chief among them. They didn't think that there was a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. Many of the Greek philosophers were somewhat materialists. Somewhat. It wasn't fully developed. But it was there. This wasn't a problem for the Ephesians, though. So in Ephesus, um, we get this kind of rare picture in Acts of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And I was reading it this week, and I was just struck by how amazing it is um, in their context, how different it was. So Paul, he'd gone to Ephesus. He had been healing people. He had been performing miracles, casting out demons. And it got to be that even his articles of clothing, the rags that he would use to dab his sweat, even those were being passed around in Ephesus. And people that had them would be cured of their diseases. And then, chapter 19 of Acts, starting in verse 13, you have this weird story that is awesome. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. The dude beat them up and took their clothes and kicked them out of his house. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And then many people hearing this actually were practicers of magic. And we read on later in the text that they all take their books of magic and they take them out and they burn them, saying, I'm not going to follow that anymore. It made an impression on the Ephesians. And this, this is the context that Paul was speaking. People who were firmly convinced, firmly convinced that there were spiritual forces at work. So, why do we downplay it as modern evangelicals? Well, I think that the first reason is it's just, it becomes, it makes us uncomfortable. We just don't like thinking that someone is out there that intends us harm, that can work behind the scenes and attack us spiritually. That makes us uncomfortable. And then there's just the social aspect of it. You start talking about 
spiritual warfare. You start talking about Satan and demons. And people look at you like you're stupid. Or crazy, at the very least. Superstitious. And we don't want to be those things. We don't want to be small in other people's eyes. But there's a problem, though, whenever we ignore the supernatural it's completely at odds with scripture and the basic truths of scripture the basic truths of faith we believe in god who created the world that's a supernatural thing we believe in the fall and the fall happened because there was satan in the garden we believe in the incarnation of christ we believe in the resurrection supremely supernatural things. Now, Scripture is crystal clear at every point, and Paul leaves no room for ambiguity. Let's read again, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Now, Paul does not give us any wiggle room here. Spiritual evil forces are real, and they're at work. And it's scary. Once we accept that they're real, that this is what Scripture actually says, it's scary to know that we fight against someone that we can't see. That means us harm. And so what do we do? Well, Paul says we put on the armor of God. So what is the armor of God? Starting in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. So, Paul is modeling all of the armor talk on what Roman soldiers would actually use and wear. And so, the standard form of dress in Rome was actually robes. And so, the belt that a soldier had actually had a really important purpose. The belt was to hold his robe up around his leg so it didn't trip him. And first off, Paul says, the first piece of the armor that you have is truth. That's truth as an objective thing, like God's truth. It's also truth lived, what people called integrity. That you live in light of the truth. That you don't try to hide things. That you don't bifurcate your being and live as two separate people. No, you live as an integrated being, as a Christian in the light. And then further, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And that righteousness is both the righteousness that we have from Christ, his spotless record, and it is also our blameless record. Such that it can be anyway as we try and endeavor to live a blameless life, this is part of the armor. 
we'll get into why in a little bit. The shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, these were sturdy uh, sandal boots. It's kind of weird to think of it, but half boots, kind of open-toed, but they were sturdy. They were made for long travel, hard marching, and they give... They gave the soldiers the ability to actually get places quickly. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So whenever we think of shields, we typically think of small shields, right? We think of like the, the armor that you know, knights in the Middle Ages might have you know, a shield like maybe that big. It's kind of a personal shield. That's not the shield that the Romans carried. The shield that the Romans carried was huge in comparison. It was, you know, two to three feet wide. It was four to five feet tall. It was huge. It was made to lift up whenever they were mounting an assault so that people could not pelt them with arrows. It was made to deflect them. And that shield of faith that is our faith in Christ, which is a gift for us, to us. And it's a thing that we use as an active defense against Satan. And then take up the helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it, Paul actually says it's the helmet of the hope of salvation. And this is the helmet... Of course, it protects your head. But it's firmly fixing in us that we are saved. That we are saved people and keeping our salvation in front of us. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so, part of the armor is the active, offensive defense the best offense is a good defense, is having the knowledge of the Word of God, having the Word of God living in your heart. So, how do we put it on? At every case, it's living in light of our salvation. At every case, it's living as a saved people. So, how do we put on the belt of truth? We put on the belt of truth by living an integrated life by living a truthful life, not trying to hide our sins. How do we put on the belt of righteous, uh, the breastplate of righteousness? We try as much as we can to live a blameless life. How do we put on the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace? We remind ourselves daily that we are at peace with God and that we are to go and tell everybody that God is at peace with them if they but profess faith in Christ. The shield of faith. We're to be people of faith. Trusting at every point in Jesus the helm of salvation. We live in light of this salvation. Remind ourselves of it daily. By the hour. The sword of faith. The sword of the spirit. We memorize scripture. We read scripture. We dwell in it. That is how we put it on. But how do we use it then? This is the defending. 
defending against the enemy? How do we use this armor? So, first off, you have to recognize that you are fighting against spiritual forces. You're fighting against spiritual forces. Now, this might be people sinning against you. It might be people bringing accusations against you. It might be Satan himself whispering in your ear accusations about your past sins. It might be whispering accusations about your present sins. But you're, you are waging war against spiritual forces. And your primary opponent is Satan. And that is important to realize. Because when we don't realize that Satan is our primary opponent, we tend, to, we tend to fight against the wrong things. You know, when we come against accusations from other Christians, we fight against them. When other Christians sin against us, we fight against them. When temptation comes on, we don't fight the temptation like we should. We don't fight the temptation as if it is coming from Satan and rebuke it with the word of God and feel the armor of God on us. No, when we don't feel like the temptation comes from Satan, we wage war against the wrong thing. And so Paul reminds us in our defense that we are to stand firm. Again in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, to be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this spiritual darkness, over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we're to stand firm. And it, it's interesting that he uses the whole armor of God. Now these... This is actually one word. It's the word that we get uh, uh, panoply from. If any of you know what that word means, I'll be super impressed. I had to look it up. It means the whole collection. Nothing left out. Why is that? Well, Calvin actually has uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek. This is the Jason paraphrase version of Calvin. That if you don't put on the whole armor of God, then kind of what you're doing, you're running into battle as if, you know, you're leaving your helmet behind, or your shield, or your sword. Maybe you just picked up your shoes and ran in. Of course, you're going to be struck down. You're going to be vulnerable. He also says the whole armor of God because each one of these pieces tells us a little bit of, about how Satan attacks us. And so... And where we're vulnerable. So truth, the belt of truth that we wear, how does he attack us? The same way he attacked Adam. Did God really say this, that, and the other? Did God really say that? He challenges the truth of God. He also attacks us in that same way whenever he convinces us to hide our sin instead of bring it out into the light. No. He attacks us with the breastplate through the <clears throat> the way that the breastplate of righteousness defends against his attacks. 
He says, you are a sinner. A horrible sinner. And he will take our past sin and our present sin. And he will use it to accuse us. And the breastplate of righteousness is first and foremost Christ's righteousness for us. That we rest in daily. And we answer back. No, Christ has died for me. Christ has died for that sin. I am safe. Shut up, Satan. Also, the breastplate is living a blameless life as much as we can because if we don't give Satan ammo, he won't be able to accuse us in that way. He won't be able to hurl those fiery darts. The shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. Satan's going to tell you, God hates you. He's not for you. He hates you. And you would answer back, no. No, just like that song, Mercy Speaks by Jesus' Blood. We say that we have peace of conscience and peace with God. No, no. The helm of salvation, he's going to tell you, you're not saved. Yeah, maybe it is, maybe it is the fact that Jesus saves sinners, but you know he doesn't save everybody and he didn't save you. And the helm of salvation is you reminding yourself that Jesus died for sinners and everyone who professes faith in him is his child. The shield of faith. Now, as I mentioned, this is a big shield. It's, it's really huge, and it was made for an important uh, part of Roman tactics, okay? So uh, up till this point, we've all been talking about passive acts of defense, okay? These are things that you wear to passively defend you. When we get to the shield, it becomes much more active. It's actually deflecting the darts of the evil one. But the bigness of the shield, it was made for a particular tactic called testudo. It's a weird name. It means turtle. And so what would happen whenever the, the Roman armies would go out and they would wage war against people, they would take these huge shields and they would have the people at front lift them all up. And they were so big that it didn't just protect the individual. It protected the people around them. And they would lift them up all together and they would form this impenetrable wall. And then the people behind them would lift up their shields and form a barrier on top, a ceiling, so that none of the archers could shoot them from the front, none of them could shoot them from the top, or the sides, they were protected just like a turtle. And the shield of faith is the same thing. It does protect us, but it's not just to protect us. It's to protect everybody around us. Because as we grab hold of our faith, our faith in Christ, we are able to deflect any darts that come at us. But as we grab hold of it, we can actually encourage and build up the faith 
of our fellow believers. And so, right here at the end, we get back to one of Paul's main themes in the book of Ephesians. The theme of unity in Christ. That we stand together, that we are formed into his church, and that we are one in him. And by being one in him, that we are one in each other. And then there's the sword of the Spirit. Jesus is our model here. How did Jesus answer Satan every time when he was tempted in the desert? Every time. He answered him with Scripture. Every time. And with all of these, we can stand firm. That's what Paul says. We can stand firm. But, Jason, I still feel weak. Like, I... I know that we have this armor, and I know that it's something I can rely on because I trust Scripture, but I still feel weak. I still feel broken. I still feel small and helpless and timid and fearful. How, how can I actually stand against Satan, the prince of darkness, with these? How is it that I can actually stand? Yeah, that's hard. But the, if you feel that, you're actually not alone. You're not alone. You are actually standing in a grand tradition that has affected every Christian in the history of forever. Every Christian has felt weak. Every Christian has felt small and timid and fearful. And Paul doesn't just stop with the armor. He tells us how to apply it. In verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit and with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That I may declare it boldly as I ought to. Paul's answer here is to pray. It's to be in prayer. All prayer, all supplication. And some people hear the exhortation to always be in prayer and they kind of, you know, inwardly roll their eyes. You know, because we tend to use prayer as a last resort instead of a first resort. We tend to go to prayer whenever we think we've exhausted all the other options. But no, Paul starts at prayer. We even listen to Satan when he says, God doesn't hear your prayers. Or maybe he does, but it doesn't change anything, does it? Well, there's actually an awesome testimony here of the effectiveness of prayer. It's really amazing, and you probably didn't catch it, but he says here, starting in verse 19, this is Paul speaking. He's feeling weak. He's feeling timid. He's feeling like Satan is after him and he can't stand up against him. And he asked the Ephesians, also for me, that words may be given to me in, op in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am 
an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, go way back to the beginning of the series. Where is Paul when he's writing this? He's in Rome. He's a prisoner. He's under house arrest. Part of being in house arrest is being chained to a soldier, which is probably why he's actually thinking of the armor that the soldiers are wearing. And he's asking the Ephesians here, while he's in prison, that he be given words to speak and that he be able to speak boldly the mystery of the gospel. That's his prayer. Now, he wrote another letter while he was imprisoned, closer to the end of his life and after this one. It's the letter to the Christians in Philippi, Philippians. And listen to what he says at the end of that letter. This is chapter 4, verses 21 to 22. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. Whenever I read that, I get chills because Paul asked the Ephesians to pray for him, and he specifically asked for them to pray for his boldness, that he might preach the gospel to anyone who would listen. And the picture that we're left with at the end of Philippians is that he has been preaching the gospel even to the people in Caesar's household, and that they're being converted even while in prison. He is preaching the gospel and converting people. God powerfully answers prayer. And he powerfully answered the Ephesians prayer for Paul there. So, we don't go out to do battle in our own strength. We don't go out wearing our armor. We don't go out by ourselves. We go out with all the saints. We go out as the body of Christ, as his church. But how is it that we have the strength? How is it that we have the strength to do that? Go back to verse 10. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We don't go out in our strength. We go out in his strength. His strength is what is important. It is his strength that will carry us through. It is in his strength that we are able to stand. It is in his strength that we are able to wear the armor. And it's actually his armor. And how strong is the strength of his might? Infinite. Infinite. How strong is the army he is sending out? Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is talking to Peter in chapter 16. And what does he say to Peter? He says, Peter, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. Jesus is picturing his church as an invading army as an invading army that, because he is the head, will conquer the gates of hell. That Satan himself cannot 
cannot stand against the church. Because the church is the body of Christ, and Christ is her head. How strong is the army? Strong enough that at the end of the, uh, the, end of the letter to Romans, Paul says to them, in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, our God is getting ready to crush Satan under your feet. That's the same words that are used of Christ back in Genesis. The same prophecy that's used there. It's echoed in Revelation. No. The army is strong because the captain of the army is strong. How strong is the armor? It's the same armor that Christ wore during his life here on earth. It's the same armor that he wore as he was doing battle with Satan all the way to the cross. It's the armor that he wore on the cross. That's how strong the army is. Jesus did the hard work. Satan is strong, we think. No. Satan is strong. Jesus is stronger. And he's already struck the death blow. That's what he did on the cross. And now Satan is writhing around trying to kill anybody he can before the end. He's already dead. He just doesn't know it. And that is the strength of the armor of God. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you have clothed us in righteousness. That you have saved us. That you have made us a people of truth, a kingdom of priests, an army of the living God. We thank you for that. We thank you that Satan Though he might scheme, ultimately, Lord, even if he strikes us, even if he wounds us, you are there ready to heal. Lord, we ask that you help us. Help us go forth in your strength and in your might, wearing your armor as a people of faith, marching toward glory. gathering in your people along the way. Amen.